Gracious God, send out your spirit, your spirit that renews the face of the earth and renew our hearts with your love, your grace, and your mercy. By your power, may Christ walk among us, be with his people, and make all things new. In his name we pray, amen. So today we'll beginning we'll be beginning a short sermon series on the final few chapters of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, also known as 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, if you do not know, was a church planter, a preacher, leader, and overseer for some of the earliest Christian communities, ones recorded in the scriptures themselves. And so all of his letters have to deal with Communities with real people just like us and real communities dealing with people with real problems just like us. In today's reading from chapter 12, sorry, today's reading in chapter 12 is in response to a problem the Corinthians have when it comes to what are called the spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, Paul begins the letter with, I do not want you to be uninformed. The issue is about what are known as the charismatic gifts. Charis meaning spirit given or grace given gifts. The gift in question is speaking in tongues. And if you don't know what these are, Basically, according to scripture, it's a kind of ecstatic speech, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Even possessed by the Holy Spirit, the person speaking becomes a divine conduit and begins to speak in a divine language they apparently did not know before. And they do it all beyond their own control. Similarly, others are given the gift of interpreting this divine speech, because if somebody couldn't interpret, nobody would know what they were talking about. Either way, unknown words flow out, and the other person interprets the words for everyone gathered. Now, before we continue, I'll have to admit I've never experienced speaking in tongues, and I tend to be of the more skeptical or rationalistic, intellectual type of person. And in the United Church and other mainline, or so-called liberal churches, we tend to uh, get a little freaked out by them. Somebody, even if somebody raises their hands in worship, we're like, whoa, what did they take this morning before they came? Mainline churches tend to think they're spooky or look down on them. Having said that, though, it is in the Bible. It's attested throughout the history of the church, and some of you were here back then, but Vancouver Island was a hotbed for charismatic Christianity in the 70s and 80s, in fact, including St. George's and Comox United Church. And I know good and faithful people who are even sitting in this place who have experienced them, and continue to experience them. So, 
In spite of my own beginning place of usual skepticism, I tend to follow Shakespeare's advice when he has Hamlet say, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. There are more things in heaven and earth than I know and have discovered, so for me, it's always good to have an open mind to these things. Regardless of that, though, this text isn't about the existence or non-existence of the speaking of tongues in tongues, though it assumes that. The issue the Corinthians are having is that some who speak in tongues see that gift, this gift, as evidence of their divine favor. If you speak in tongues, then you're saved and more spiritually advanced. And if you don't, you're not saved. In fact, you're spiritually stunted because you haven't been given this particular gift. So the underlying source of the conflict in Corinth is, in fact, spiritual arrogance. Because spiritual arrogance is corrosive to spiritual community. And it comes in many forms. Whether it's speaking in tongues, or there are some who can simply feel God's presence in worship and in prayer. They feel God's presence. They see the Spirit's work guiding them actively. And there are signs of God's work all around them. There's a warmth. There's an electricity there's a pouring out of the heart. But then there are others for whom the life of faith simply isn't like that. Maybe faith is something more interior, something more intellectual or intuitive. Maybe God's presence is experienced, but in study or in active serving on the street in the soup kitchen, or working for social justice. In Corinth, it's the ecstatic, experiential people who have this sense of superiority, who look down on the people who just ain't feeling it as lesser. But there are, of course, plenty of churches and communities where those types of gifts themselves are looked down on. One pastor whose congregation was thriving in the 1970s through charismatic renewal said colleagues and others will look down on his congregation as being not United Church, whatever that may mean. And often those of us who have been part of churches for a long time can look down on new people who haven't accrued our wisdom and experience. They come with all kinds of spiritual enthusiasm, and we look at it as a sort of naivete that, oh, once you're here long enough, you'll know how this Holy Spirit thing works. And there are plenty of churches where the gifts of the mind or gifts of service can be elevated above all others. And the refrain, the familiar refrain is, at least we're not like the other ones. So any of us, regardless of our spiritual experiences, can fall into the trap of ego, self-satisfaction, and self-justification on which of God's gifts we believe to be the most true, the most important, 
or the most faithful. According to this letter to the church in Corinth, no one is exempt from this temptation. Now, your first response might be kind of like mine, which was like Rodney King, who said, can't we all just get along? Can't we just acknowledge diversity as a good thing and just be nice to each other? Hasn't anybody ever thought of that before? I mean, that's a popular cultural sentiment, isn't it? But it doesn't acknowledge that significant diversity in experience is a really hard thing to manage. You can't just shove a bunch of people who are completely different together and say, become a community, become the body of Christ, God's light in the world, have at it, go, go, go. It really is like herding cats, it is. No offense to you all, but it is like herding cats. But it's a hard thing to manage. Like, it's hard for a poor black Pentecostal woman from Somalia to sit next to a wealthy 80-year-old Italian Catholic woman and come to some kind of agreement on what good worship is like. And that's kind of what, like what Paul's managing here. This diverse community. And there are three things he reminds the Corinthians of as a way to hedge against this conflict rooted in spiritual arrogance. The first hedge against spiritual arrogance Paul offers comes from the very beginning of their life together as a community of faith. It goes back to the source of their common faith. Now he says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but the same God who activates them in everyone. Notice that, varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities, but same spirit, same Lord, same God who activates them all. Huge diversity, but same source. Same starting point, same standing point. Paul does this to remind all the Corinthians that God is the source of their gifts, all of them, whether tongues or otherwise. Because spiritual gifts are just that, they're gifts. They aren't achievements. The response to a gift isn't to start rubbing it in everybody's face who didn't get the same gift, is it? I mean, we call children who do that brats, right? The proper response to a gift is gratitude. It's humility. Meaning that no matter what our gifts may be, whether ecstatic, intellectual, practical, or physical, we need to always remember that we're not the author or the inventor of those gifts. God's own spirit is ultimately the source of them. God's own spirit is the source. So that's the first hedge against spiritual arrogance. Variety of gifts, same spirit. Remember, God is the source of them all. And here's the second. Gifts are given by God, yes, but God isn't like Santa, bestowing gifts only to the nice and avoiding the naughty. 
if that were the case, then I would be in deep trouble. The second point Paul makes about spiritual gifts is that everybody's got them, right? Everybody has them. They're given to everybody. Some are given the utterance of wisdom, he writes. Some wisdom, some knowledge, some faith, some healing, some miracles, some prophecy, some discernment of spirits, and then, there, then comes the notorious two. They're equal, but Paul kind of puts them down the list because he knows who he's talking to. Various gifts of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each individually just as the Spirit chooses. So there's something radically democratic about the Holy Spirit's work. God gives out gifts like they're going out of style. You know, I just imagine God, like Oprah, like, check under your seats. You've all got spiritual gifts. They're not worth anything. They're priceless, anyway. As Jesus says in the Gospels, Jesus says that God sends a rain on the just and the unjust alike. Gifts are different, but they're equal. And they're equally given to all, from the weakest to the strongest. Meaning that everyone has their own equally important part to play in God's work in the world. Everyone's got their own gifts, and not all of God's work in our lives is Holy Spirit fire and divine sunshine. Less exciting ones, like wisdom and knowledge, they're equal gifts too. And not only that, but maybe it's just as important for those of us who don't seem to have discernible gifts to know that we've got them too. They just might not look like the image of spirituality that comes into our heads immediately. But God works with each of us in God's own way. That's the second hedge against spiritual arrogance. All gifts given by God, all of equal value. And finally, the third hedge against spiritual arrogance. All gifts are given by God, yes, and all are given gifts, but those gifts aren't given just for our own growth and edification. They aren't just given for us. To each, Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That last phrase, for the common good, is key. Here Paul says that gifts, even something very personal, like the gift of tongues, aren't given to put the spotlight on the individual. Instead, Paul here says that all gifts are given for the purpose of building up the community. All gifts are for the common good of God's purposes. And I think that this might be the toughest one for us because we, North Americans, are very individualistic. We think of spirituality and faith as something only personal, something to do primarily, if not totally, with the individual, the one person. 
And sometimes we might imagine being spiritual people only means becoming personally happier through something like meditation or having mystical experiences all alone on mountaintops. And in our consumer society, it's easy to see a faith community as a place like every other store or service, there to meet our needs and satisfy our wants and desires. The question, what is it, what's in it for me? But basically, Paul is saying that our gifts as individuals are given to us for the purpose of serving others, especially in community. And to be honest, we as a church perhaps haven't emphasized enough the communal nature of faith. We share a lot about grace, God's unconditional love and welcome, but we don't talk much about how that grace is intended to play out once it lands in our lives. We don't tend to talk about what the grace what the life of grace looks like. But here Paul says that if we keep our gifts to ourselves, instead of plugging them in and making a difference for each other, then we're not actually using our gifts in the way that they're intended. And so maybe it's not only the third and final hedge against spiritual arrogance, which I think it is, but it's also the hedge against spiritual complacency. For us to always remember that our gifts are all given for the good of the community. They aren't just given to me. They aren't just given to you as individual separate sealed units or our friends and the people we like. But they're given to all of us for each other. Meaning we'll never actually experience the byproducts of joy and personal transformation that come with the work of the Spirit without each other. So maybe if you haven't discovered a spiritual gift for yourself yet, it's not that you don't have one. Maybe it's because you haven't given yourself fully into community enough for somebody to see it in you, to recognize it, and to bring it out. Because no matter how amazing our gifts may be, a gift from God that's not shared is a gift that, in the end, just kind of ends there. It's like a big Slurpee. You just drink it down and it's all gone. Arrogance and complacency are two sides of the same spiritual coin. So there we are. Brothers and sisters, like Paul, I do not wish for us to be uninformed about the nature of spiritual gifts. Because the truth is, our hedge against both spiritual arrogance and spiritual complacency 
is the beauty of God's work in our lives that isn't just our own. That all the gifts we're given come from the same source. And they come in such a variety that there isn't one single way of being faithful or following the Spirit's leading. Whether some of our gifts are ecstatic, electric, or you're less exciting, more subtle, we've all been given them. The Spirit has been poured out in this community. God has given us what we need to be Christ's body. And God has given them to us, not just for our own purposes, to build up a religious institution, but to be God's light in the world. As the old South African proverb goes, I am because we are. We are because God is. And God works in each of us by the Spirit, each in different and unique ways, equipping us in service to the church and the world God loves. So may each of you recognize the Spirit's work in you, no matter what shape it takes, and may each of us respond in joyful thanksgiving and in service to one another. All for the sake of the common good. Amen.